Okay. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session 55, uh, and our third session on chapter 10 of book one of The Fellowship of the Ring. We return to our conversation with Strider, and we are just about to get Butterbur's intervention uh, into that conversation. Uh, and we've been looking a lot at the dynamics between Frodo and Strider, and in particular, kind of trying to think about things from Strider's point of view, figure out uh, in, in part sort of why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, and uh, sort of what this conversation looks like from his point of view uh, as well. So uh, we're going to get right back into that in just a minute. Good evening, everybody. Um, so uh, first, before we got started, just wanted to make a couple announcements. Uh, the very first thing I wanted to announce is I am doing a special session this Thursday evening at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I'll be broadcasting it. Uh, I should be broadcasting it on Twitch, I think, unless there's any conflicts. But in any case, we'll be on uh, uh, on the NetMoot on GoToWebinar, and I can post um, the link for that, uh, the registration link uh, for that session there in the Twitch chat, and then here also in the Discord chat as well. Um, so uh, what what this is is you know usually every year, once a year, I do my State of the University address, kind of give people an update with what's going on at Signum University. We have some really big, exciting updates going on. We have um, uh, we have come to a a, a momentous. Uh, I feel like Thorin. It is a solemn moment. Uh, it's a big moment now for Signum University, and I wanted to share that with you, give uh, you guys an update uh, as to what's going on. Um, and uh, it's pretty exciting. So I hope you'll join me on Thursday evening at nine thirty. While we share that, and of course, if you think it's connected to that big book of documentation I was waving around last Tuesday night, you would be correct. Uh, but anyway, okay, so, um, uh, excellent. Oh, so is anybody else having audio problems? You guys are hearing me, right, in uh, the, I'm pretty sure you guys are hearing me on Twitch. Uh, is everybody hearing me on Discord? Is that all right? Okay. All right, cool. Excellent. Just want to make sure. Okay, so please do join me on Thursday evening. That'll be a lot of fun. And another place you can join me uh, a little bit further down the road is going to be London Moot. London Moot is going to be awesome. That's going to happen on the 28th of April, Saturday, April 28th. Um, so if you can... Uh, if you are near enough to uh, to get into London for the 28th, uh, I hope you, you'll be able to join us. Go to londonmoot.com and you'll be able to find all the registration information there. going to be a great time, lots of awesome people, uh, and I'm really looking forward to getting to, to meet you guys. So uh, anyway, great. Uh, so just the two things I wanted to – one to inform you of, one to remind you of, uh, and I hope you will get to join me uh, on Thursday night because this is uh, – uh, this is an occasion that I have been preparing for and building for 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 seven years, so I am pretty excited about this. Um, all right, so let's continue back to chapter ten. Uh, I've uh, one come there a bunch of uh, 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 good uh, observations uh, on the uh, discussion board. One note I would generally make. Uh, some people have a tendency to make very long posts on the discussion board, which is really cool, and there's often a lot of really good stuff, but it's really hard for me to integrate those uh, and respond to those because they're very long. Um, 
So shorter bits are going to be a little easier for me to integrate and talk about uh, during uh, uh, during during class here. So, um, uh, however, having said that, there is uh, one that I. Um, uh, that I want uh, that I actually split up into two screens here today because I thought it was worth it, uh, and I'm pretty sure that I noticed earlier on. Uh, John Castles, man, see, look at this. I'm gonna post your excellent question and talk about it. I'm ready to heap all this praise on you, and then I see you posted a screen name trolling me tonight here, right? Come on now, John, what's that all about? Uh, <laughs> but anyway. Here is John's excellent post uh, on uh, Strider. I thought it was, this was some really good analysis and some really good close reading. Uh, he says, in episode 53, we had a lot of trouble explaining why Strider would intentionally sound rascalish when he speaks to the hobbits in their rooms. Could it be that it's the best way to make the hobbits listen? At the end of chapter 9, Frodo was afraid in a very general way, part of why he began to suspect even old Butterbur's fat face of concealing dark designs, uh, is because he can't identify what he's afraid uh, of specifically, so he's prepared to be afraid of anything. If Strider were to come in, offer a full explanation of who he is and why the hobbits should trust him, I don't think the hobbits could get past their general fear and believe him. They may even refuse to listen outright. After all, listening to reassurances from someone who wants to do you harm Arm can only hurt you. But by seeming to be a trickster, the hobbits, uh, uh, Strider makes the hobbits want to listen. They want to ask questions so they can see the trick. They want to challenge him on the assumption that he will fail those challenges and they can see him off. This gives Strider the chance he needs to convince them. So continuing, he says, consider this passage. Oh, indeed, replied Frodo, surprised but not much relieved. Even if I wanted another companion, I should not agree to any such thing until I knew a good deal more about you and your business. This is a rhetorical challenge from Frodo. He's forcing Strider to either explain his business or leave. He doesn't think there's a chance that Strider will explain his business, so he thinks he's forcing Strider to leave. Instead, this gives Strider exactly the chance he needed to explain himself. After saying that, Frodo can't object when Strider starts to explain his business. I think that this is part of what Strider means when he says you seem to be coming to your senses again, and that is all to the good. He's not just saying that it's good Frodo is being more cautious. He's saying that it's good that Frodo is being specific about his fears and saying that he would need to know... Uh, uh, that he, he would need to know to sensibly set them aside. Uh, the same thing happens when Frodo challenges, Mr. Strider may have an honest reason for spying and eavesdropping, but if so, I should advise him to explain it. Frodo thinks that Strider can't have an answer, but Frodo can't really object when Strider offers the explanation. You can see this through the whole conversation. It's the Hobbit's own defensiveness which gives Strider the opportunity to explain himself. I just can't see him getting the same chance if he didn't make them think he was a rascal to begin with. And I think that's a really, uh, I think that's a really good uh, uh, observation. Really, um, I think that um, he, um, uh, he and Lincoln, you're right. So in in the Discord chat tonight, Jonathan Castles, who posted this excellent post, uh, has logged in with his screen name, John Balrogs Have Wings Castles. So that's 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 what I was I was uh, castigating him for earlier on. Um, anyway, so. Uh, so I, 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 this is a, this is a really interesting concept, John, and I, I think it's it's definitely worth uh, worth thinking about that um, by especially since, of course, you think about the the 
the atmosphere and an atmosphere kind of uh, a reputation, right, that Strider has cultivated here uh, in Bree. Um, you know, he's he's he I, I have have kind of I do have kind of a rascally look, have I not? Right. He says, as we pointed out last time, almost boastingly, like he's he's a little bit proud of the the reputation, you know, the 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 success of the disguise that he's uh, that he has used there in Bree. Um but uh, uh, anyway, so he, he, he knows how he's going to come across. So I, I do agree that if he were just to come in earnest and totally straight up from the beginning, right? Hi. So I'm, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I just want to help. Um, I'm totally on your side. And, uh, you know, you should come with me because I can help you. Uh, they're going to be untrusting, right? So by kind of playing up to their fears, um, and then explaining himself as he goes, he does accomplish both things, right? The thing we've been mostly focusing on is his own side of things, right? He doesn't want to reveal too much about himself. And he's he's very coy about revealing anything about what he knows or about who he is, right? So he that's the other reason, of course, why he doesn't want to be forthcoming. But in addition, I do think, John, that you've got a, uh, you've got a really good point, um, that he's trying to kind of bring the hobbits along a little bit more gently. Um, and, it, and he's less likely to do that, perhaps, by simply trying to allay their fears from the beginning, right? I know I look sketchy, but I'm in disguise, right? Really, I'm a good guy, and I'm on your side, right? That's what rascals would say, right? So um, by instead of looking like a rascal who is trying, who is not acting like a rascal and trying to get them to take him at his word uh, completely, and oh no, really, no, honestly, you can trust me, um, he lets, the, he, he sort of plays up to their fears and allows them to see through it, Right. Uh, and that's a more delicate game to play. But and especially when you combine that with the fact that he's also trying to keep his own cards hidden. Right. And uh, and not reveal too much about himself. When you add that in, it's a really tricky place for, you know, for Strider to be in uh, for him to try to figure out how to approach the whole conversation with Frodo. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, good. Um, yeah, yeah. Irinda summarizes by saying uh, Strider forces them to face their fears about strangers and proves himself uh, trustworthy. Uh, Valoria suggesting it's it's like reverse psychology that he's using there. Yeah, in a sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so John adds here, uh, he says that litmus test is the term I should have used in that post. He says Strider forces Frodo uh, to set the test which Strider has to meet in order for Frodo to trust him. Without the rascalitude, Frodo would never have set uh, any test. Right? He just would have rejected him. Right. Um, but yes, by sort of challenging Frodo to challenge him, he enables himself to meet Frodo's tests. Right. Um, and and so kind of pushes Frodo to push at him rather than simply, you know, freaking out and uh, not re- you know, refusing to have anything to do with him. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mike says the best con is when you can convince your mark that the whole thing was their idea. Right. And that's the tricky thing here, Mike. Right. Is that it can always circle back to simple rascalitude. Right. I mean, you could just uh, you can never. Or rather, let me say it the other way around. You can always say like, well, it's, it's, you know, 
that's just like a really cunning con man, right? And, and how they would act. But that's, of course, the whole point, right? They can't know. They're never going to know for sure, right? Um, uh, it's not uh, certainty is not a possibility. There will come a point when they have to simply choose. They have to decide. Are they going to believe him or are they not going to believe him? Because it's not going to be able to be proved exactly as you suggest, Mike. I mean, it's it's always um, there's always a there's always a better con artist out there. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Good. Good. Um, OK. Uh so let's uh, let's 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 carry on. Having thought about that, let's go, move back. So this is the slide we ended with last time, but I only did the first half, right? Um, I only wanted to talk about. Um, um, oh, I only wanted to talk about uh, uh, that the first part, right? Striders moving in the opposite direction from what Gildor did, right? When Gildor was like, if I tell you more about the Black Riders, you won't even move, right? And and here's Strider saying. Uh, it would be better if you were more afraid, right? You're, 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 you're afraid, but you're not afraid enough. Sorry. I just realized my phone is not charging and it really should be. If I want Twitter to actually work for an entire class, that would be handy. Uh, sorry. My charger is being uh, dubious here. All right. I think I got it anyway. Okay. Um, so, uh, we had just gotten Strider can take you by paths that are seldom trodden. Will you have them? There was a heavy silence. Frodo made no answer. His mind was confused with doubt and fear. Sam frowned and looked at his master, and at last he broke out. With your leave, Mr. Frodo, I'd say no. This Strider here, he warns and he says, take care, and I say yes to that. And let's begin with him. He comes out of the wild, and I never heard no good of such folk. He knows something that's plain, and more than I like, but it's no reason why we should let him go leading us out into some dark place far from help, as he puts it. Right? So, Mike, here Sam is exactly uh, suggesting, you know, what you were suggesting, right? Um, You can't trust him, right? You can't be sure that you can trust him. Um, the very thing, like the, the very advice that he's saying, uh, you know, like, Oh, you should be careful whom you go with. It's like, you know, that's what a clever con artist would say. Right. Um, so yeah, Sam is, Sam is, and then I get yet Rothgar. And I, like, it's not that I think Sam is like, Oh, like you, you, you can't put one over on Sam Gamgee, right? He's on to every con. Um, his reaction I think is not sophisticated. It's sort of simple. Right. Forthright, Marianne. That's a uh, that's a really good uh, and and I I think an excellent word to use here. Right. Um, Sam says, look, simplest solution. You know, Sam's kind of going all Occam's razor on this situation. Right. He's like, look, OK, we've got reason to to, 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 to Can we all agree? Right. We have reason to doubt this guy. Right. So why trust him? Right. Um, uh, why let him go lead us into some dark place far from help? I love how Str- how Sam throws Strider's own words uh, uh, back at him. Right. Or, or sort of an approximation of them. Right. Um, Strider can take you by paths that are seldom trodden. Right. And Sam takes that and turns that to some dark place far from help. <laughs> right. Which is lovely. Right. Because when Strider talks about it, it makes it sound like um, 
you know, I can lead you in places that nobody else knows, right? I am a uniquely qualified guide, right? And here Sam takes that same phrase, turns it around and says, yeah, he's uniquely qualified to lead us out where nobody else can hear us scream. And then who knows what's going to happen. Um, so, uh, uh, so yeah, and Matt, that's a really good point. Matt points out that Sam, being the one who has most successfully conned Frodo in the past, uh, knows all about how it's done. Um so, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so notice what's the basis of Sam's thinking here, right? First sort of general suspiciousness, right? Just general caution he has. He does not have, it is very clear. I mean, we talked about Frodo's kind of, default setting to um uh to trust right um and you know that we we were seeing that how 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 quickly he was shifting to trusting um uh, uh strider at the beginning of this conversation right how little it took before he seemed to be you know to be at least making gestures of trust uh to strider sam on the other hand does not have that default setting right he is suspicious by default. And the kind of suspicion that we are seeing here is, well, it's Gamgee-like, right? I mean, it's Gaffer-like. It's, it's, he comes out of the wild and I never heard no good of such folk, right? It's, um, yeah, I see several people are talking about the wild and why wild is capitalized. The wild is a spot and it is a spot. I think uh, I render I think exactly the same as you do where it's mostly a spot is on maps, right? Um, you've got the shy, you've got the Shire, you've got the civilized world. Maybe Bree is on the map, right on the edge of the map. And then on the other side of that is just called the wild, right? Now that terminology is incorporated from the Hobbit. The Hobbit uses that quite a lot. Um, uh, when, uh, you know, when Bilbo crosses over into the wild, uh, it's really the Misty Mountains that are truly the borders of the wild, um, in The Hobbit anyway, when, you know, that's why, uh, the Elrond's house is the last homely house before you get to the wild, right? Coming from the Shire, uh, uh, the Elrond's is the last stop in civilization before you enter the wild and the unknown, um, so uh, yeah, Dime exactly on on the map in the Hobbit, the edge of the wild is clearly marked. It's and so it's it's just like this is at least to the people who make those maps, right? This is on not exactly uncharted, but this is uh, this is this is wilderness, right? This is uh, untamed land, and we don't know uh, what is uh, what is going on here. Um, so yeah, Aragorn, it's kind of like the here, there be dragons thing. Of course, there literally is a here, there be dragons thing on the Hobbit map, right? Uh, up in the North, right? Uh, uh, on the Withered Heath. Um, so, um, anyway, yeah, there's, there's the, the, the wild, that's where there are giants, there are wolves, there are goblins, there are, even like dudes who can turn into bears, you know, there's giant spiders, there's elves, there's all kinds of things. They're not all bad, right? But it's all crazy. It's all wild and it's none of it like the Shire. So, um, 
so yeah, the wild is definitely is definitely a place. Um, he comes out of the wild, and I never heard no good of such folk. And this is an interesting combination of things, right? On the one hand, this is like a kind of parochialism like we've seen uh, from many of the Shire hobbits, right? Um, I mean, if people in the Marish and Buckland are queer from a, a, a Hobbiton standpoint, what must the people who actually live out in the wild be, right? I, I, beyond strange, right? Beyond dubious, like downright dangerous. But then again, you have to remember there's there's another thing, right? Um, and that is, I never heard no good of such folk, right? Well, where has he heard anything, right? This is not just like, I've, uh, you know, no news of, of, you know, like charitable organizations founded by folks in the wild has ever been reported back in the Shire. Remember, Sam is a, a story listener, right? He loves stories. So I, here I think we can see a combination of the two things. One, the kind of parochialism that he inherits from his dad um, and that kind of worldview, which seems to be common to many of the Shire hobbits, to all of really to like the the, the mainstream of Shire Hobbits. But at the same time, um, there's, he, Sam, is part of this sort of subculture, um, which does listen to and is eager for stories from outside the Shire, legends and things, right? Um, so I think that Sam is speaking in both cases, right? Sort of from both perspectives. Um, he has heard things about folks that live out in the wild, um, and it's he, he's not he's not heard much good of it, right? I wonder what stories Sam might have heard. Um, you know, I mean, I can think of some, right? Imagine the story. Uh, remember the story of Turin Turambar, right? Remember the outlaws that Turin Turambar led. Um, those were, you know, folk that lived out in the wild, right? And they weren't very good, right? I mean. They kind of came around and kind of ended up on the side of the good guys, sort of. But they were not. They were, they were outlaws. They were not. They were not pleasant fellows. Um, so, so yeah. I mean, even yeah. And I agree. And even at the end, they're hardly upstanding individuals. Uh, so there's, there's all kinds of reasons why. You know, both from traditional stories and from, uh, uh, from Sam's own sort of point of view as a Shire Hobbit, why he would not really trust them. Um, and yeah, Matt, there are big folk who have been giving the Bounders trouble recently as well. Absolutely. Um, even from the Bree perspective, right? They're clearly dubious of not just of Rangers. I don't just mean like Strider's own personal rep, but um, but there's there's ruffians about Right, I, they haven't yet had the problem with ruffians that they're gonna have, as we know. But, um, but still, you know, people who live out uh, uh, in the wild and sometimes come down and you know rob honest folks on the you know or raid farms or whatever. I mean, that's a thing that happens. We know that they have categories for this in Bree, right? Um, uh, this is something that they're for. This is why they have a guard at the gate, right? Uh, so. There's again, there's there's stories about these kinds of things. So Sam's suspicion is not it's not blind, it's not ignorant, right? Um, there's there's some there's some decent grounding to it, and the way he kind of cuts through this complicated situation by saying, you know what, 
essentially like better safe than sorry. And I do agree um, as uh, oh, somebody was talking about this earlier on. Um, uh, um, oh yeah, Irindus, I really like that observation that uh, Sam's Edge of the Wild might be closer to the Shire than the Mapmaker's Edge of the Wild. Yeah, uh, certainly that seems that seems very likely. Um, and uh, but oh, I forget who was it who um, was talking about this. But the the next one, he knows something that's plain and more than I like. Right, um, but it's no reason why we should let him go leading us out. Of, remember, because because he's he's absolutely right. Right, what cause do they have to trust Strider? Right, what has he given them really uh, as a token of why he should be trusted? And the only thing he's done is reveal that he knows stuff. Right, that he knows Frodo's real name, that he knows that they're fleeing the Shire, that he was waiting for them to come that he knows about the Black Riders who are hunting them, right? And Frodo seems to be sensitive to the whole, and we talked about this last time, that whole, like, we're on the same side kind of empathy thing that um, that seems to, you know, that, that, that Strider seems to develop with Frodo when Strider mentions the Black Riders. Sam, not so moved by that. Right. So, okay. So he knows something. He, he knows who you are. He knows that we're coming. He knows who's hunting us. And he has hinted that he knows about the burden that you're carrying. Right. He knows the secret of our journey. So far from being reason to trust him, Sam points out, this is reason to be more deeply suspicious. Uh, and the way that he twists that, um, it's no reason why we should let him go leading us out into some dark place far from help. Right? Uh, that's the fact that he knows more than he should is not any reason uh, for us to uh, for us to 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 trust him. Um, so Sam is right, right? So one of the things I think that's really fascinating here is to look at the difference between Frodo and Sam, right? Um, and I don't. You know, I think you know me well enough to know I don't mean any insult to Sam in this, but Frodo's response to Aragorn is different. He seems to be sort of responding to Aragorn on a different kind of level than Sam has. Sam is making good. This is Hobbit sense, right? Uh, Sam is 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 showing excellent Hobbit sense in his response here. Look at Frodo's uh, Frodo's answer, uh, because I think that. We can we we can, we see what I'm talking about when I talk about responding on a different level. Pippin fidgeted and looked uncomfortable. Strider did not reply to Sam, but turned his keen eyes on Frodo. Frodo caught his glance and looked away. No, he said slowly. I don't agree. I think, I think you are not really as you choose to look. You began to talk to me like the Bree folk, but your voice has changed. Still, Sam seems right in this. I don't see why you should warn us to take care, and yet ask you to take ask us to take you on trust. Why the disguise? Who are you? What do you really know about about my business? And how do you know it? So, a couple things here, right? First, Frodo perceives something, right? Um, I don't agree, he says to Sam. Um, now, notice he doesn't contradict Sam in the sense of like he doesn't dis- he doesn't d- disprove 
anything that Sam has. He doesn't rebut anything that Sam has said. Sam has uttered good Hobbit sense, and logic is behind him, right? It would it would be it would be this like the smart play for them to follow Sam's line of reasoning. So what's Sam's response? Sam's response is, or Frodo's response is, no, there's there's something else going on here, right? I, I I'm perceiving something beyond what we're what we're seeing. Um, and it's interesting here. On the one hand, um, this is sort of a simple observation, right? Um, you began to talk to me like the brief folk, but your voice has changed. Um, and I believe that means we've alluded to this a couple times previously. Um, I believe that that refers to his accent, that he actually, his voice has actually changed. Um, so his accent and diction are different uh, than they began. Um, you began to talk to me like the brief folk. I, I'm pretty sure that that's what Frodo means uh, when he says that. So as, so that's one interesting thing. And, and I, um, uh, Jock, I, I, I didn't see your full name there on, on Twitter. Um, I don't think that this is a slip on Strider's part. I think that this is one of the things, and it's not been commented on yet. We haven't really had, because Tolkien isn't representing the breed dialect, the breed dialect directly uh, in the way he spells words or anything like that. So we don't really know what accent Brelanders have. Um, but anyway, he... Uh, didn't we agree they would have Welsh accents? Uh, but anyway, um, he... Um, so yet, Lady Schmabulock, I think he did just let it slip uh, on purpose. Um, I think that that's part of the sort of subtle game that he is playing, right? The, thinking even back to John's observation, right? He is putting Frodo in a position to challenge him and sort of see through him. Um, and so he gives him something to see through first. So he comes in and he's using the Brie accent. And then as it goes on, he drops the Brie accent. If I had to guess, by the way, um, if I had to guess uh, uh, where in the conversation Strider's accent changed, um, my guess would be when he says, excellent. Uh, you know, when he responds favorably to, 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 to Frodo's challenge. Um, if I had to guess, that's where I would guess that he, uh, that he drops his accent or shifts his accent um, and shows that he's not, in fact, um, sort of a native of the Brelands. So on the one hand, we can see Frodo making some careful observations that maybe Sam hasn't made, right? Um, uh, but it's not just that, right? This is not just... I, Sam, have paid closer attention and I've totally Sherlocked this out uh, in ways that you haven't figured out. Right? That's not what's going on. He starts with, I think you're not really as you choose to look. I can perceive that there is more to you than appears on the surface. Again, part of it is I, I, I can see, I see evidence of disguise, right? Like your accent thing. Um but I think there's more to it than that. Marianne was suggesting, and, and uh, I think a couple, people, a couple people on Discord were suggesting as well, that this could quite likely be one elf friend recognizing another. We know that that happens. You know, I was thinking about that with Strider turning his keen eyes on Frodo, the keen eyes thing, right? Um, is, 
is that a is that a, a kind of a hint, right? As the eyes of one elf friend look into the eyes of another elf friend, is that is that remember Goldberry could tell instantly that Frodo was an elf friend, right? Um, Frodo doesn't have the same experience, but is there something that he just kind of picks up on, right? That gives him the sense that there is something more, and the something more that there is is a good thing, right? That he, so I mean, again, you might one could reply uh, very much like Sam already did, right? And he's like, no, no, Sam, I I don't agree. He's obviously hiding who he really is, and he's putting up a false front. That's why we should trust him, right? That doesn't make any sense. Um, unless, of course, that what you're pointing to is that what's beneath the surface is a good thing, right? That he can in somehow sense or feel that there's a good thing. And again, I come back to this sort of uh, almost like apparently instinct for trust that Frodo seemed to have for Strider, even the crawling over to his table um, in the common room, right? Why would he do that? I think, again, that we're seeing some this kind of connection. He's been sort of drawn to Strider, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it is interesting, JJ. JJ says you remind a little bit of Dante that, uh, uh, you know, uh, reason is good, but it can only get you so far. This is a theme we'll, we'll see a lot, right? Um, again, Sam's play is the sensible one, right? Logic dictates the smart thing to do here is show this guy the door, right? You can't be sure. How can you possibly be sure? Following this guy into a dark place far from help is a risk at the very least, right? And so smarter to minimize that risk and say, no, thank you, sketchy, weirdo, disguised dude. Um, But Frodo doesn't want to do the smart thing, right? That's not what he's guided by. And we'll see that happen a lot. JJ, definitely. Um, but he does press him. Frodo does press him, right? And John, of course, I'm thinking of your post here again. Um, as he, as Frodo presses him and, and, and is testing him more and more, right? Um, I don't see why you should warn us to take care and yet ask us to take you on trust. Why the disguise? Who are you? What do you really know about about my business and somebody and I missed again who it was. I keep these comments keep getting washed upstream here. Um, somebody was saying that uh, it's um, just like Bombadil. Who was saying that? Um, darn it, I missed it. Um, that the question that he asks him is the same question he asked of Bombadil. Who, who are you? Right. And so let's remember that conversation, right? The both times that, um, Frodo asked that question once of Bombadil, once to Bombadil, um, uh, you know, who is he and who are you? Um, the, the, um, the response was, Essentially, that's kind of a, well, if not a meaningless question, an impossible one to answer, 
right? Who are you? Alone yourself and nameless. Um, I'm Tom Bombadil. That's, that's the only answer, he says. I've, I have identified myself. How can I do more? How can you know me, who I am? How can you sort of interact with, like, the, the, the true essence of me, uh, in some way that's going to satisfy you to answer that question, right? I can tell you who I am. I can tell you about myself. I can tell you about the color of my clothing. What else can you, do you need to know, right? How, what does a good answer to that question look like as far as you're concerned, right? That's the way that that question gets challenged by Tom Bombadil. Here, we see it in a different context, right? Um, and yet there's still, we see, in fact, the same kind of dilemma, right? Who are you? How is he supposed to answer that, right? Um, uh, you know, he is alone himself and nameless, Strider is, right? Um, he is nameless because he chooses to hide his real name. Uh, he is alone, right? Um, uh, so he, who is he? Alone, himself, and nameless. Um and again, it, it, so it points to the dilemma. Why the disguise? Um, so, but, right. But he's disguising himself, right? So why could you trust? So if he answers the question, who are you? And he's like, oh, okay. Uh, my name is Aragorn. Well, why should they believe that? Right? Um, again, this is the dilemma of the, you know, the, it's, the, there's no such thing as proof at the, they're going to have to just decide what they believe or don't believe. Um, just as, there's no answer from Tom Bombadil to the question, who are you? That's just, that's not a question that really has a satisfactory and that can be answered, at least not in words, right? Notice what Tom kind of does instead is answer it in song and help them to experience him and his history and who he is. Um, that's kind of his answer to the question, right? Um, Aragorn, uh, and remember, by the way, remember that Tom Bombadil has already preemptively answered this question? Who is he, right? Who is this person? That they're me. Well, remember that vision that Tom Bombadil gave them of the the succession of kings, and the last uh, the last one came with a star on his brow. Yeah, that's who he is, right? So Tom Bombadil's already answered this question again, in with his, uh, you know, with his with his magic, with his song. Um, but anyway, so that that's kind of a that's kind of a fun little point. But of course, he Frodo doesn't really know that that's the case here. Um. And, uh, um, yeah. And of course we have the fact that Frodo himself is concealing his name as well. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, so we've got all kinds of, we got all kinds of issues here, but at the end of the day, we're left with this dilemma, right? You warn us to take care yet. You ask us to take you on trust. Yeah, of course. Right. Those are the only two things. Strider must do both of those things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Finn, you're right. Tom Bombadil's kind of playing the long game there. Right. The, the hobbits are not going to understand. They're not going to be in a position to understand that vision from Tom Bombadil uh, until like the end of the return of the king. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Simon is asking, did Bombadil know or expect that they would meet Aragorn? Um, 
he seems to know Gandalf, but you don't remember any indication he'd interacted with Aragorn. Well, Aragorn knows who he is, right? So uh, there's at least a hint. And even, you know, the way that he refers to him as old Bombadil, right, suggests at least he seems to want to convey the fact that he's familiar with Tom Bombadil. I don't see any reason to think he wouldn't be necessarily. Um, Strider's been wandering this region for a long time. Why wouldn't he pop in to say hi to introduce himself to Tom Bombadil? Um, so I don't see any reason to think that they don't know each other. Um, uh, and as Curse Simon, you're absolutely right. Tom Bombadil is genuinely very old, right? So that could be merely a, merely a description. Um, but um, um, anyway, I, 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 I still think it's quite likely that uh, Aragorn met Tom Bombadil and that, uh, that he knows him. We also talked about, uh, yeah, uh, Catriona is, is saying, and we were discussing this when we were looking at the eavesdropping, or rather Strider's reporting of the eavesdropping scene last time, um, that, um, uh, you know, the possibility anyway that um, Tom Bombadil knew that Aragorn was there in the bushes, right? Um, so, yeah, it seems it seems possible or likely that he knew or anticipated uh, somehow that Tom Bombadil was, or that they would meet Aragorn. That seems to me likely, actually, but, of course, it's not exactly something we can prove. Um, anyway, uh, so, the two take-homes I would, I would point to from Frodo's speech here. First, this sense that he has of connection, right? There's something below the surface here, and it's it's good, right? I don't, I, it doesn't lead me to, the fact that I know that he's hiding who he really is doesn't automatically lead me to, to distrust him, right? Um, I don't, I don't agree that we should just reject him because it's the smart thing to do. But the second thing is the fact of their dilemma, right? Why should we take you on trust? You know, why should, why should we uh, be more careful and also take you on trust, uh, and he and his questions, his questions are good questions. Why are you disguised? Who are you? Um, what do you really know about my business? He's hinted, right? But he's not given anything away. Um, and so here is a very direct challenge. And so, John, I'm coming back to your uh, your testing theory, right? The putting Frodo in a position where he gives Strider tests that Strider can pass. He now finally has come very directly to the point. Right. Give me your real name. Tell me what your purpose is. Tell me what you know exactly. Don't just give hints like a con artist would. Right. Of course, like a con artist might guess that I was here for some purpose and make some, uh, you know, dark allusions to it, hoping that I would betray something which you could then play off of. Right. No, you tell me everything that you know about my business. Right. So that I can know uh, whether or not I can trust you. Um. Strider continues. Strider responds. The lesson in caution has been well learned, said Strider with a grim smile. But caution is one thing and wavering is another. You will never get to Rivendell now on your own, and to trust me is your only chance. You must make up your mind. I will answer some of your questions if that will help you to do so. But why should you believe my story if you do not trust me already? Still, here it is. Okay, so again, John, coming back to uh, the observations you were making in your post there, notice he's doing it again, right? Um, he's doing it again because, uh, uh, you know, so he 
prompts Frodo to make the challenge, right? And he's prepared to respond to it. So he is about to give the answers to Frodo's questions, right? Um, he's, he's, he's about to tell him his name, right? To tell him what he knows, uh, to explain why, why the disguise, right? Um, but of course he points out, this isn't going to prove anything, right? Um, why should you believe anything that I tell you about myself? If you don't already trust me, this is, you can't trust me just because I tell you stuff. Um, uh, so Anyway, yeah, yeah. But notice he does do one thing, right? Even just in his little preamble to the answers he's about to give, right? You will never get to Rivendell now on your own. They didn't mention that Rivendell was their destination, right? So by saying that, he has shown some, some, again, he's, he's, he's there's, that's another little thing to hold on to, right? Again, it's not proof, Um Again, a really good con artist might guess, especially if he knew that they would, the connection with Bilbo and anything about Bilbo's history, right? A well-informed con artist uh, might be able to work that out. Um, you know, a con artist who had read The Hobbit, for instance. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, well, see, JJ, I don't think it's that simple, though. You know, where else would Hobbits leaving the Shire and passing through Bree Head? I agree there isn't anything other than Rivendell uh, uh, off to the east of there. But there isn't anything. Remember, Rivendell is a secret valley. People don't. There aren't signposts to it, um, and I. I can't imagine. I mean, other than Bilbo, there are no Shire hobbits who are heading out past Bree on the way to Rivendell. Right? That has never happened. Um, Bilbo is literally the only hobbit that that uh, Elrond has met in his millennia of existence, he says, or at least the only one he's gotten to know. Um, and I, I don't see any reason to think that any other hobbits ever been uh, to. To Rivendell. So, so yeah. So no, I don't think that there's. Um, it's not like it's uh, it's it's the logical destination. But but again, all you'd have to do is know something about Bilbo, right? Or know Bilbo's story, um, and uh, uh, you know, then you would uh, you would you might be able to make a guess at it. But so again, it's not proof, but it does give them another thing to hold on to. Right. Another little piece to, to, you know, another another little piece of, you know, flotsam in the water for them to, to grasp onto and, and think, you know, to, to have some objective uh, point in the midst of the, you know, this sort of doubt. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, exactly. Simon Gandalf gets lost looking for the path down into Rivendell in The Hobbit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Matt, I wonder about the Took who uh, who took a fairy bride. Um, but, of course, that's absurd, right? That totally didn't happen, right? Uh, well, I don't know. And maybe she wasn't from Rivendell anyway. Maybe she was from the Fallas. Who knows, right? Maybe she's out from, uh, not the Fallas, but, you know, out from, uh, uh, from, from, from uh, uh, the, you know, from the Havens out by Cirden. Who knows? Um, yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, I love how Strider draws attention to the interpretive dilemma that they're in. Right. I mean, he openly acknowledges this. You can't know for sure. 
that you can trust me, right? But I will tell you anyway. Um, and this is also, um, this is also, I think, important because, um, this this moment that is is important because he seems to be genuinely shifting his own tack here. Um, that is abandoning his own caution. Strider himself, again, shifting back as we've been doing to thinking about this conversation from Strider's point of view, it's interesting that Strider has chosen this moment to throw his own caution to the wind. Notice how he's taking his own advice, right? He says, caution is one thing and wavering is another. That always struck me as a little bit of a harsh thing for him to say. I mean, like, come on, man. Like, to accuse them just of wavering at this point, like they've got good cause to be doubting, right? Good cause to be uncertain about stuff. Um, you know, you don't have to be all harsh with them and, 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 uh, you know, accuse them of just cowardice because they're uncertain. Of course they are. Um, but again, I think it's, he doesn't, I don't think he means that pejoratively. I don't think he's insulting them. Um, he's just pointing out like you, you can waver in uncertainty indefinitely. Right. If what you're looking for is certainty before you move, you're never going to get it. Right. Um, caution is good, but you can't let yourself just waver. Right. You've got to be ready to make it. Be cautious in your decision, but be ready to make a decision. And of course, what does he do immediately? He makes a decision. He stops wavering as well. He commits himself or at least he's prepared to commit himself and give the answers to the questions which he has not wanted to give before we've seen him be evasive to this point in the conversation about revealing anything about himself. He is now going to commit himself to that. Um, and that's, uh, uh, and that seems, that seems quite fair. And I, I agree. Um, Simon and, and John. Yes. Frodo is wavering. Uh, yes, I get it. I'm just saying it sounds a little, it seems a little harsh to, you know, diss him for it, right? He's got good cause for wavering, uh, here. Um, but again, that, that, that's, that's the point. There will always be good cause for wavering, right? It's not, uh, he's not accusing him of a character flaw. He's, he's saying, you've just gotta, you've just gotta run with it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. The only bad decision is indecision. Um, this is actually really interesting in that regard too, right? Decision-making. Aragorn and decision-making is actually a really interesting study. Aragorn is one of my favorite decision-makers uh, in, in, in Tolkien. You know, one of the people that we see, like, deliberate and choose a course of action. Um, that's why one of the reasons why Aragorn is a really interesting study for, like, you know, as like a a... a a leadership model and stuff. He's really kind of interesting to look at in that way. Um, and we see this is something that he's on top of from the very beginning, right? This is one of the first things that he points out, like, don't, don't wait for certainty, right? Um, even if you're not sure, do something, right? Uh, be cautious, right? Don't be reckless, but caution is one thing and wavering is another. It's a really great, uh, uh, in context, really great, uh, great piece of advice. Okay. At that moment, there came a knock at the door. Mr. Butterbur had arrived with candles, and behind him was Nob, with cans of hot water. Strider withdrew into a dark corner. "'I've come to bid you good night,' said the landlord, putting the candles on the table. "'Nob, take the water to the rooms.' He came in and shut the door. 
It's like this, he began, hesitating and looking troubled. If I've done any harm, I'm sorry indeed, but one thing drives out another, as you'll admit, and I'm a busy man. But first one thing and then another this week have jogged my memory, as the saying goes, and not too late, I hope. You see, I was asked to look out for hobbits of the Shire, and for one by the name of Baggins in particular. (laughs) First of all, how awesome is that as an introduction? Right. Uh, you know, what a way to 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 approach his topic. You kind of get the general feeling that Butterbur thinks he's being tactful here. Right. Like he's sort of gently coming around to the point. But he could not possibly have made the beginning of this conversation sound any worse than than by the right. I mean, the, if there's one thing that Frodo is keyed up about and wary of, it's people who are waiting for a party of hobbits coming from the Shire and one by the name of Baggins in particular, right? That's exactly what spies of the enemy and and uh, uh, and and people who've been bribed by Black Riders uh, would uh, would say, right? So you know that uh, the fat face of Butterbur. Sure sounds at first like it is concealing dark designs. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Strider's finesse Butterbur hath not, says Lincoln. Yeah, or at least he's really kind of put his foot in it here, right? Um, and what has that got to do with me, asked Frodo. Ah, you know best, said the landlord knowingly. I won't give you away, but I was told that this Baggins would be going by the name of Underhill, and I was given a description that fits you well enough, if I may say so. Um, okay, so, um, notice Butterbur, not as cunningly as Strider, is nevertheless, uh, sort of... Showing through what he knows that he is to be trusted, right? He's making kind of the same move, right? Um, I'm in the know, right? I'm part of the. I'm part of this conspiracy. I'm part of the secret, right? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not an enemy to it. I'm not a discoverer of it. Um, uh, that he was told that the Baggins would be going by the name of Underhill suddenly shifts things around, right? Now it's not the Black Riders. The Black Riders are not going to be are not going to be saying that, or at least at least not at first. They wouldn't be saying that, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, JJ, I agree. And what has that got to do with me? Might be the most subtle thing that. Uh, that Frodo has said, like that might be his most successful moment of keeping low profile and remembering that he's on the lamb. Right. Uh, he's, he's not, he's not covered himself with glory on that front to this point, but that's tolerably well handled right there. Right. Um, yeah, JJ, exactly. Unlike when Strider uses, you know, calls him Mr. Baggins, right. Uh, in the prancing pony, and he just tries to like ignore it and pass it off, um, but yeah. So that what has that got to do with me? You know, is good. Um, but then again, Butterbur's reaction is that that knowing look, right? Like ah ah, right? Secret between you and me. Don't worry, don't worry, right? I'm not going to give you away. Um, and I was given a description. So both of those two things are immediately encouraging signs, right? Um, the Black Riders don't know about the Underhill disguise. 
And the Black Riders don't know what he looks like. They're not going to give a description. Um, I mean, apart from the fact that they don't exactly see, uh, they haven't really seen him anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. And Matt, I agree. It does, doesn't it begin to feel like his mission, his secret mission was is, is not only like th- that secret is not only the most incompetently protected, but like the, the most widely exposed secret. In, I mean, like who didn't breed doesn't know uh, what's uh, what's really going on. Like, I won't give you away, says Butterbur. Like, to whom are you keep from whom are you keeping the secret at this point? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, from Bob, says Finn. Right. There might be one person still in the dark. Possibly. Uh, possibly. Um yeah, let's keep going. Oh, but uh, notice, I'm I, just referring to my subtitle. I said uh, starting on a different footing, right? So uh, when you compare and contrast this interview to the beginning of the interview with Strider, right? Um, notice how Strider immediately puts them on the defensive by having sneaked in and just be sitting there casually in a chair with his legs crossed, right? Without them even noticing that he entered the room. So the way that he puts them on the defensive immediately... Um, and the way that he he characterizes himself as a competent but b sketchy and sneaky right um really sets the tone for their conversation here butterbur you know comes in forthrightly and is immediately hesitating troubled and apologetic right and making excuses for himself um he um whereas Strider's kind of challenging Frodo. Um, uh, Butterbur's approach is a, a very, a very marked, uh, very marked contrast. Um, Indeed, let's have it then, the description, of course, said Frodo, unwisely interrupting. A stout little fellow with red cheeks, said Mr. Butterbur solemnly. Pippin chuckled, but Sam looked indignant. That won't help you much. It goes for most hobbits, Barley, he says to me, continued Mr. Butterbur with a glance at Pippin. I love that. It applies to you too, mate. But this one is taller than some and fairer than most, and he has a cleft in his chin. Perky chap with a bright eye. Begging your pardon, but he said it, not me. Um, notice the bright eye. I can't help but notice the bright eye. Um, the... The elf friend thing, right? I don't think Butterbur is an elf friend, right? I can't absolutely rule it out, right? It's conceivable. Um, but, um, uh, but I don't think so, right? And yet I think it is the sort of the sparkle of, uh, uh, of, the sort of what the elf friendship uh, in Frodo's eye that, you know, that, that that's the kind of thing that we're told is one of the marks of, of an elf friend. Right. So it's kind of interesting that that's mentioned here. Um, uh, and then uh, you're right there, Mike, though. Frodo wasn't an elf friend uh, when last Gandalf saw him. Right. That's true. That's true. Um Yeah. 
But that doesn't change my observation, though, right? It doesn't change the fact that is to say that a bright eye is seems to be one of the trends, one of the marks, right, of an elf friend. Um, it just makes Gandalf's perception of him sort of more, um, more interesting. Right. JJ points out that both both Frodo and Butterbur are wizard friends, though. Yes, it's true, though. I'm not sure that leaves the same mark on you that being an elf friend does. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, oh, that's a really great observation here. Um, uh the narrator's perspective. So let's, let's, let's talk about this comment, the, uh, the, the narrator's commentary unwisely interrupting, right? Um, the, the narrator's commentary on Frodo's remark here, right? Um, and, uh, someone was asking just a minute ago, um, uh, John was, um, in what sense is his interruption unwise, right? Um, I think it's unwise um, because unwise in the sense of sort of daring him to give the uh, the description, right? Which immediately comes out and is not very flattering. Um, But the, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm thinking about the interrupting part of it. Um, hang on, let me come back to that to a second. Um, uh, Ambrosius Aurelianus asks, does fairer mean simply more handsome or that he is more on, obviously honest, kind sort of fellow? It could be neither, um, Arthur. It could be something much simpler. Um, that his hair is a lighter color. Um, fair usually means blonde. Um, uh, it's hard because fair also means beautiful or handsome, right? Um, uh, it means attractive. But like if you're reading Dracula, right, and you hear about the three vampire women and, and it says two were dark and one was fair, it just means that two of them were brunettes and the third was a blonde. Um, so it, it's that's... When used, especially when used in a description, a physical description like this, it probably just means that his hair is lighter color. Um, because I'll remember, hobbits all have brown hair. That's that sort of standard. Um, so I think that he, uh, uh, Frodo seems to have lighter color hair than most of them do. That would seem the simplest interpretation of that. Um, but... Uh, but that's not to say that the other senses might not be true. It also might be that he is taller than some and more attractive than most. Might also be a perfectly adequate reading of that, right? But those two compliments seem to go together. Um, yeah, and I agree, John. Golden hair is 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 rare in hobbits, but not unheard of. Remember, blondness is there's there's a rash of that. Uh, in 1420, right uh, after the scouring of the Shire. Um, like, uh, you know, um, Sam's daughter, um, Eleanor, but 
Yeah. So, um, but anyway, going back to the question of the interruption, by characterizing, I need to think about that because it doesn't exactly sound like Frodo is interrupting him. That is, he, Butterbur, seems to be at a pause there. So when, it, when I'm thinking about the unwisely interrupting comment, I'm trying to think, if he's interrupting Butterbur, what was Butterbur about to say, right? How would he have continued if Frodo hadn't said anything, right? Um, would he have just carried on with the description? If so, in what sense was his interruption unwise, right? Because he didn't really affect him in any way. So I've got to think that his intervention did divert Butterbur out of his original course, but then where was his original course going? I'm not sure. I I'm not sure. I'm understanding. I'm not sure. I'm seeing the flow of the of the of the conversation there. Um, hmm. I don't know. I don't know, Frumius. Um, Frumia says it looks as if Frodo was asking about but where Butterbur was going with this, but instead got the description of Frodo. I think he's asking for the description. You know, indeed, let's have it then. Um, like, oh, so he did describe me. Let's have it then. Um, so he tries to challenge Butterbur. Think what? Thinking that Butterbur is, is so indeed, let's have it then. Um, sounds doubtful. Right. Oh, so you're given a description of me. Well, well, let's hear this description that you've been given. Right. If you are really given a description, then you won't mind reciting it for me, will you? Right. And that challenge seems to have been unwise in the sense that Butterbur is, in fact, able to give it to him right off. Right. Uh, And he starts quoting it uh, right away. Um, so I think in that sense, it's unwise that, that, that it was unwise to challenge Butterbur's flow. Right. Uh, and so he, he, and he pays for it by being proven wrong. Right. Um, Hey, John, look, it's exactly like what was happening with Strider, except kind of working in a different way. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and JJ, that's that was that's always been the way I've primarily thought of it. Uh, um, thought of it um, that uh, it ends up with everyone hearing a description of him that is in some places unflattering is how I always understood the unwisely interrupting bit. Um, yeah. Okay. Taller than some and fairer than most and has a cleft in his chin. A perky chap with a bright eye. Um, begging your pardon, but he said it, not me. I love how Butterbur draws attention to the fact that I, I, I was quoting there, right? Those are his words, not mine. He said it, and who was he? Asked Frodo eagerly. Ah, that was Gandalf, if you know who I mean. A wizard, they say he is, but he's a good friend of mine, whether or no. But now I don't know what he'll have to say to me if I see him again. Turn all my ale sour or me into a block of wood, I shouldn't wonder. He's a bit hasty. Still, what's done can't be undone. Um, I really, this is one of my, I love this Butterbur character moment, right? 
remember we've gotten a glimpse of um, of we've we've gotten a glimpse of the Breland reaction to magicians, right? Um, my friend, the wizard, that's no recommendation, clearly, in Breetown, right? Um, yeah. You know, Karita, I wonder, that might be so, um, uh, thinking about the unwisdom of the introduction. Um, and Katriana, I think, was thinking a similar thing, too, um, as I think was Marianne as well, uh, that it's unwise to interrupt him because he might never get back on track if you do, right? Um, yeah, so if you, you're taking a real risk, right? If you interrupt Butterbur and divert him into a different channel, you might never get the information that you were, that you were wanting, right? Um, he might never get around to the end of the sentence that he was, uh, uh, that he was, that he was, that he was beginning. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, um, a wizard they say he is, but he's a good friend of mine, whether or no. I love how Butterbur goes to bat for Gandalf here, right? He is not ashamed of his friend Gandalf, right? They say that Gandalf is a wizard, right? A wizard they say he is. Notice he doesn't... He. he Butterbur can neither confirm nor deny the wizard status of Gandalf, right? Um, uh, but he's a good friend of mine, but he doesn't care. He's a good friend of mine, whether or no, right? He vouches for Gandalf. Um, and uh, and that's really cool, right? It is... Uh, 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 was it Jackie? I think it's Jackie. Um, uh, it is... Uh, uh, or Jacques. Okay, I, 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 sorry, still can't tell which from the little uh, Twitter line there. Um, it does seem as if wizards are kind of too dangerous to to be friends with, right? Um, Jackie. Okay, right. I thought so. Um, uh, yeah, that. But but he's. But again, he stands up for it, right? He doesn't back down. He is a good friend of mine. Whether he's a wizard or not, I don't care. Whether he whether he's a wizard or not, he's my friend, um, and I'm sticking up with him. Um, yeah, so that's, um, that's really cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Sorry, I'm thinking about, uh, Finn, about your comment there. Finn was just talking about how wanting to think about Frodo as the narrator writing this story. Hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that in unwisely interrupting, we're hearing Frodo, the later story writer's voice, necessarily there. Possibly. Eh, but it's complicated. Um, Yeah, Matt, I agree with you. We do get a glimpse, don't we, of Gandalf's life, right? Um, there's not a lot of places where Gandalf is is welcome, right? He's a disturber of the peace in the Shire. Uh, he's Stormcrow uh, in Rohan. Not not you know, people. He's not really welcome there. Uh, he's uh, of course, Matt. He's also not 
in uh, very good odor with the steward of Gondor either, right? Denethor is very happy to see the back of him, and uh, and he's disreputable even in Bree. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Denethor. Denethor is not a fan. Um, so yeah, no. This is um, um. Uh, Gandalf is just, uh, has isolated friends, right? But 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 we, we see that right everywhere. We see that. Um, we see he's got, you know, he's got Bilbo and Frodo in the Shire. He's got uh, uh, Butterbur in Bree. He's got Faramir in Gondor. He's got Shadowfax in Rohan, right? So everywhere he's got like a friend at least. Uh, but um, uh, but he's he's Elrond, of course, yes, uh, and Galadriel as well. Um, but they're kind of they're kind of different, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, does he have Amir in Rohan? I mean, he does eventually, but I'm not sure that Amir is like Gandalf's guy. Not in the way that Faramir is Gandalf's guy, right? Um, Faramir considers Gandalf like a mentor, right? Um, Amir certainly doesn't have that kind of relationship with him. Um, Amir's affiliation with Gandalf seems primarily premised upon the fact that Gandalf is opposing and getting rid of Wormtongue and Amir's a fan of that, right? Um, yeah, was uh, was he closer to Aemond, conceivably? But, uh, um, yeah, yeah, see, Jackie, I'm not sure he would have had the chance to be close to Gandalf, really. Um, maybe, but, uh, you know, I'm really, it's... I don't think he's spent much time in Rohan. I think when he gets to Rohan, you know, after he escapes from uh, Orthanx, the first time he's been there in a while. Um, <laughs> Gwaihir, yeah, that's true. Gwaihir is another butt of his. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, Katriana, at first, I definitely think that Aemir is more of an enemy of my enemy thing. Right? I mean, he's, 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 um, but like, he, you know, of course, when he, Gandalf, heals Theoden, Aemir's totally with him, right? Um, but yeah, I, I don't get the impression that Amir begins in a genuinely pro-Gandalf camp, right? He's more open-minded, I think. Um, but again, there, I think that it's mostly him being anti-Wormtongue. My suspicion is that um, Amir is cautiously non-insulting about Gandalf, right, when he's telling Aragorn the story. Um, he, he's not, he's at the very least non-committal. He does not say that he believes the bad things that are being said about Gandalf, right? But why doesn't he believe them? Because they're coming from Wormtongue, right? And he doesn't believe Wormtongue, you know, and he's anti-Wormtongue. So the fact that Wormtongue is, and his followers are set against Gandalf seems to be the thing that mostly speaks for in Gandalf's favor from Amir's perspective. Um, but anyway, okay. Um, okay. 
Oh, yeah. So uh, several of you were wondering if the he's a bit hasty line, uh, if we're supposed to be thinking of the Ents. Well, no, I don't think we're supposed to be thinking of the Ents yet. I mean, when Tolkien wrote this, the Ents were nowhere in his mind yet. Ents totally didn't even exist. Um, but, of course, it is fun that Butterbur uses the same word. And hilarious, right? Uh, uh, certainly as conversationalists, Butterbird and Treebeard don't have very much in common, right? Uh, so th- the idea that, like, the one thing that Butterbur and Treebeard have in common is that they both consider Gandalf hasty um, is kind of interesting, right? Um, but actually, when you think about it, although their conversational style is very different, um, they... They're not totally unlike... That would be a fun paper, wouldn't it? Butterbur and Treebeard. See, Tom Bombadil and Treebeard, that's kind of low-hanging fruit, right? That's easy. Butterbur and Treebeard. Not on anybody's side, because no one is entirely on their side, right? Uh, But both of them friends to Gandalf. Both of them sort of presiding over this one place where the Butterbur hasn't personally lived there for millennia, but the Brelanders have, right? And he is like the the most representative and positive Brelander that we get. There are some similarities there, actually. Um, and of course, one reason why Gandalf looks hasty to both of them, I would think, is that to quote Butterbur out of context, that is, quote him when he's talking about Strider, he goes about at a great rate, right? Gandalf doesn't live anywhere, and he's always going hither and there. And in, in, uh, um, yeah. So Jackie's asking Butterbur's family has run the inn for how long? Answer: Time out of mind, right? Nobody knows. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, so the the uh, yeah. So both of them, both of them are stable. Right in this uh, geographically stable, they stay in the same stay in the same place. The fact that Gandalf has no home, uh, the fact that he's Mithrandir, that he's the Grey Pilgrim, right, the the Grey Wanderer, um, suggests that uh, you know that seems hasty to them. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yes, they are rooted exactly, exactly, in one dear place. Yeah, good job, Matt, working on a little Yates quote there, right, uh, in a way that Gandalf is not. Yeah, Gandalf is very alien to them in that way, and I think to both of them in a similar way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, by the way, I would totally, uh, I would love to, you know, when in the film film project, when we get to Eriador, you know, when we get to the Third Age, um, I totally want to have the Prancing Pony there from, like, 
centuries and millennia before and have somebody who looks just like but like cast the same actor as Butterbur and have him always be <laughs> like his name can be different right uh, but to have there always be like a Butterbur in charge of the inn at Bree I would totally do that uh, like anytime anyone is traveling they always stop at the Prancing Pony and there is like Mr. Butterbur uh, he's a different Mr. Butterbur every time but they're all played by the same actor maybe with different like facial hair or whatever uh, that's t- that's totally. I I would love to depict Butterbur as like the symbol of, you know, the 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 stability of the Bree lands, right? Uh, that would be that'd be fun. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And Tilly and I agree. Gandalf does inspire a certain amount of fear in Butterbur. He's intimidated, right? Um, he'll turn all my ale sour or me into a block of wood. Doesn't that? kind of sound like the reason why most people aren't friends with wizards, right? Because they might do something like that. You never can tell about wizards, right? You never can tell with wizards, as Winnie the Pooh might say. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, 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 like, they're unpredictable, right? Hasty. But also, like, powerful. They can do stuff. And they might do stuff, right? Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it makes his assertion of friendship just a couple sentences before the more significant, right? He, he knows he's under no illusions, right? He knows that Gandalf can do these things. He's afraid that Gandalf is going to do these things, but he still considers Gandalf, his friend, his friend. Um, yeah, good. Well, what have you done? Said Frodo getting impatient with the slow unraveling of Butterbur's thoughts. Huh? See? Just like Treebeard? Huh? Right? So he talks faster than Treebeard and more, but uh, but still his thought is slow to unravel, right? Because he's got time. right? He's Where's he going? He's not going anywhere, right? Just like Treebeard. Oh, man, I'm loving this comparison. Anyway, um, okay. Um, where was I? Said the landlord, pausing and snapping his fingers. Ah, yes, old Gandalf. Three months back, he walked right into my room without a knock. Barley, he says. I'm off in the morning. Will you do something for me? You've only to name it, I said. I'm in a hurry, said he, and I've no time myself, but I want a message took to the Shire. Have you anyone you can send and trust to go? I can find someone, I said, tomorrow, maybe, or the day after. Make it tomorrow, he says, and then he gave me a letter. It's addressed plain enough, said Butterbur, producing a letter from his pocket and reading out the address slowly and proudly. He valued his reputation as a lettered man. Mr. Frodo Baggins, Bagend, Hobbiton in the Shire. Um, and yeah, I, I, so first, Prothgar, yes, the where was I does suggest the unwisdom of interrupting him, right? Um, Frodo is impatient with the slow unraveling of Butterbur's thoughts, and the consequence of his impatient interjection is to uh, uh, divert Butterbur's flow of thought, right? Uh, so I, the more we see, the more I am convinced that that's what was unwise, right, about it uh, in the first time. Um, Yeah. And it is ironic, right, Finn, how he says to Gandalf, he reports that he says to Gandalf, you've only to name it and I'll do it, right? Except 
he doesn't do it. And as you can see by my subtitle, which I said, trusty and willing, um, uh, you'll remember, uh, um, bring those that are trusty and willing, right? Uh, it was the, the advice, um, take those as, as is willing and take those that you can trust, right? Gandalf said, take those that you can trust. Gildor said, take those that are willing. Um, Butterbrook is clearly willing, right, to help Gandalf, but he's not very trusty, really. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Oakwig, look at that! Oh, Oakwig points out that both Butterbur and Treebeard also both fail in Gandalf's appointed tasks. That's brilliant! Oh, see? I'm telling you. Treebeard and Butterbur. This is this this is a paper that needs to be written. Anyway, okay. Um uh that's very that's very good. So yeah, so he's he's not he's not trusty, right? Um extremely willing, but not very trusty. And I also love how Gandalf calls him Barley, right? Um what a great First of all, just like what a great nickname uh, for uh, I mean, I, I know people in Bree call him that anyway, but uh, what a wonderful nickname for a guy who makes beer. Right. Just just to say. But anyway. Um, uh, yeah. Tillian says this whole thing seems to be about people failing their way to victory. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, Tillian, yeah, I think you're right. Um, we finally found someone who is worse at his job than Frodo is at his job, right? Frodo, Barlowman is even worse as a lever, as a letter deliverer, right? He, he, he's a worse mailman um, than Frodo is a fugitive. Um, uh, he's worse at being a, a, a delivery man than Frodo is at being a fugitive, Um and yet, it does all work out, doesn't it? Um, I'm in a hurry and I have no time myself, but I want a message took to the Shire. That's clearly not what Gandalf said, right? Gandalf would not say, I want a message took to the Shire. Uh, he, Barlaman, is clearly not quoting Gandalf word for word, Right? Um, <laughs> JJ says, why was Butterbur chosen for this task? You can be sure that it was not for any merit that others did not possess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, well, you know, Valori, it's interesting. Valori mentions his literacy. Um, but, you know, that's interesting to me. Because from one way of looking at it, a literate person would actually be the last person that you would want to be uh, to give a letter to, arguably, right? Uh, I mean, what safer messenger uh, to send with a with a secret letter than someone who can't read it, right? I mean, that's there's a definite upside to that. Um, especially if he is able to commit to memory things like the description, right? And everything. I mean, he, he'd remember the address. Um, and writing it out on the letter, I mean, Gandalf's writing it out on the letter isn't going to help, 
I mean, Butterbur is literate, um, but he wasn't even going to deliver it himself. The person that Butterbur was going to tell, was he literate? Odds are not, right? Um, yeah, foo-foo. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, Fufu, I agree with you. Uh, it, it would have been better, perhaps, if he'd given the letter to Nob or Bob. Um, um, but, Katriana, I do think that we see... Gandalf does trust him, right? But again, it's like the conspirators said to Frodo, right? Remember when Frodo says in a conspiracy unmasked, it doesn't seem like I can trust anyone, right? Uh, and Mary says... It depends on what you want, right? You can trust us to stick with you through thick and thin, but you can't trust us to leave you to face things alone, right? Um, you know, to face danger alone. You can trust Butterbur not to betray you, right? Gandalf can trust... Butterbur is not going to give away a secret. He's not going to... He's not going to read the letter. He's not going to tell others about the letter. He's not going to... Uh, but he, you can't trust him in the other sense, right? You can't trust that he's actually going to remember to do what he was told to do. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I can find someone I said tomorrow maybe or the day after. Make it tomorrow, he says, and then he gave me a letter. I like Butterbur's honesty here, that he's not trying to conceal uh, how much he screwed this up, right? Um, that is to say, like, he, he, he even relates how Gandalf emphasized that it really needs to be sent right away. Don't put it off. It also shows that Gandalf knows Butterbur, right? Don't put it off till the day after tomorrow. I know what that means. Right. Um, it's addressed plain enough. Uh, it is interesting that Butterbur values his reputation as a lettered man. Right. Does this suggest a difference between Bree culture and Shire culture? Maybe. Maybe it just tells us something about Butterbur. Um, yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm not really sure what that suggests. Yeah, and I agree, Matt. He's more absent-minded than forgetful. And we've already seen him quote the description, right? Um, Bree memories tend to be retentive, and I don't think that Butterbur is any uh, is any difference there. Uh so he, 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 he remembers stuff. He just can't always recall things, right? One thing drives out another. That's different from being forgetful. Um, I speak as one who knows about this kind of thing, right? Uh, although I, I may admire Sam, uh, I am probably more like Butterbur than any other character in the Lord of the Rings. As much as, as, much as my own self-image might... Uh, 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 might uh, might might be different if the, the, there's one character that I solidly resemble in Lord of the Rings, it would be Butterbur, I think. Um, yeah, but um, 
yeah, yeah. Um, mine like a lumber, like like a lumber room. Absolutely, thing wanted, always buried. That is absolutely me. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you're right, Finn. Thank you. I can see through a brick wall in time. You gotta give me enough time, but eventually, eventually, I'll see through the brick wall. Um, yeah. Lilareth, I wonder. I wonder if his literacy is a mark of his importance in town. It certainly is correlated with his um, being a, a business owner, right? I mean, he, he, he keeps the books and stuff at the Prancing Pony. Um, he presumably deals with paperwork and makes notes and records le- things in ledgers and stuff like that. Um but otherwise, you don't really have to be a lettered man, even to be an innkeeper, really. Um, and it's not obvious that being literate would give you status, necessarily. Um, again, think of Gaffer Gamgee's comment, right? Meaning no harm, right? And I trust no harm will come of it. Um, yeah, I think that he's... Uh, If the same if there's that same attitude that Gaffer Gamgee gives us, right? If that same attitude is relevant in Bree, then he's liable to earn people's distrust for being literate more than earning their admiration. Because um, see, again, it's this is something that I find. I often find this as a medievalist, too, um, in in kind of like teaching medieval literature in a modern classroom, you know, with modern readers, one of the things that I find it really hard for modern people to imaginatively put themselves in is a world where illiteracy is not a bad thing, right? Um, Or where literacy is not a goal. We're so used to literacy being one of the things that, like, one of those fundamental divisions of the haves from the have-nots, right? Like, you, if you are illiterate, you're so... Uh, so deeply disadvantaged in our society in so many ways or so many ways in which you're, you know, it, it's it, very, very difficult for you to function and certainly even harder for you to get ahead, for you to thrive in our society, right? So we have this really rigid sense of literacy, good, illiteracy, very bad, right? Um, and that's totally not true in an oral culture, right? That's our view on that is a very print culture oriented uh, viewpoint, right? Because we live in a print culture, um, we think that way. In a pre-print culture, which was either a handwritten or an oral culture, and those two things often, you know, sort of went together, um, illiteracy is no negative thing. There's no stigma attached to that, which means there isn't a default um, virtue or glory attached to literacy either. Um, I mean, it was a specialist skill. It's not like people didn't see it as useful, Um, but it was useful. I mean, you know, being a miller was useful too. It doesn't mean everybody does it. Right. Or that it's any particular virtue to be a miller um, or a blacksmith or something like that. Or does it make you any better than anybody else just because you have that skill set? Yeah, sure. It's important. Good to have somebody in the town who has it. Right. But, you know, 
It's not like everybody needs to be a blacksmith or a miller or whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just, um, uh, it's just, it's it's just a different world, a very different world, uh, than our modern world. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, oh, absolutely, Lincoln. Socrates was, uh, distrustful and critical of literacy, uh, and for a very good reason, right? Um, writing things down, um, uh, it means, <laughs> awesome. Uh, Cedar Lord just joined. I just mentioned blacksmiths, uh, and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, uh one of the greatest weaponsmiths I know just joined us live. That's really funny. <laughs> Great to hear from you. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah. Um, Lincoln, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, literacy, the, one of the knocks against literacy is that it, it makes your memory bad, right? Um, just like having a cell phone, which has the, your contacts all in it, has made you, like, how many of your friends' cell phone numbers do you really know? Come on. Like, could you actually call somebody from somebody else's phone? Uh, no, you've forgotten everybody's phone number, except maybe one or two. Right? Do you even know your own phone number? Maybe you do, right? But I mean, everybody forgets that now. If you have an aid to memory for that, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, you know, you, you forget, right? Now, it's exactly the, the Greek's argument is that, you know, writing... If you write stuff down, yeah, like then you have it, right? But then you don't have to remember it anymore. Uh, you know, think of think of the 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 store of memory that you know that 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 bards and singers had, right? Like the dudes who used to go around and recite the Iliad, right? Um, that kind of feat of memory gets lost in a print culture. Um, anyway, I'm just uh, um, just. Uh, go off about that, but just again to to kind of uh, um, remind people about that. Don't make the assumption that I. Coming back to the comment about Butterbur here, um, I think it's uh, um, I think it's it's and I I know the Iliad wasn't recited word for word from memory. It's much more complicated than that. And it's much more kind of interactive and inventive than that. I, I, I know, but still it's a different kind of, uh, of, of mnemonic skill that, that, you know, modern people, it is very rare now in the modern world. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, it's interesting though, that elves are a written culture, right? They, they, they write stuff down at least, some of them do, right? Not all, I think, necessarily. Um, but um, anyway, uh, so just the point that I wanted to make is that I, th- I still think it very interesting that Butterbur values his reputation as a lettered man. And I wonder if that makes him Butterbur. Like, weird? Does this make him sort of deviant in some way, right? Um, do people consider Butterbeer 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 strange? Is he is he uh, is he not not normal? I mean, is he queer? You know, in that in that Shire sense, do do the local Bree folk consider him? I mean, obviously they'd like him, they trust him. But would he be seen as strange? Would he be seen as an exception? Is he an oddball? 
in some sense in Bree. I want, I'm, I'm wondering. His friendship with the wizard suggests it, right? He's going against the dominant, you know, culture of, uh, of Bree in standing up for his friend Gandalf. Um, but I wonder if the literacy is another thing. If most of the Brelanders think like Gaffer Gamgee, but he doesn't. Um, yeah, I wonder. Yeah. Um, yeah, Blue Wizard, exactly. Think of the, the idea of Frodo writing a book seemed odd. Not just odd, astonishing that somebody would be writing a book. That's a weird thing to be doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, okay, sorry. I should, uh, we should uh, stop here. Um, anyway, uh but yeah, Katrina, I agree with you. It's okay. It would be okay for Butterbur to be kind of eccentric because he's from a very established and respected family. Um, in other words, Katriana, you notice the parallel that that suggests, right? Compare and contrast Butterbur and Bilbo, friend of the wizard, respected in his community, holding a position of respect in his community, and yet not sharing the same values and perspective of the rest of that community, which may or may not have some direct influence of Gandalf the wizard, uh, um, uh, you know, behind it. I wonder. I wonder. Um, yeah. JJ, I agree, is pretty much proves it. Butterbur is like, you know, the center of all free people's culture, right? All roads lead to Butterbur, just like all roads cross at Bree. Makes perfect sense. All right, uh, let's leave it there tonight. We will uh, we'll go on to Strider popping out of the corner, right? And the confrontation between Strider and Butterbur uh, and see what we see there as we move forward uh, next time. Um uh, what is next week? I should be here next week. Um, uh, don't forget about Thursday night. Uh, uh, exciting meeting on Thursday night. I hope you'll be able to join me for that. Um, but uh, I'm gonna. We're gonna do our field trip. Of course, I'm gonna say goodbye to the folks on Twitter. Thanks everybody for joining me on Twitter, and uh, feel free to join in on Twitch uh, to watch our in-game field trip. We're gonna think about Angmar uh, and the history of Angmar uh, and the uh, the particular subcreation that and uh, uh, in their adaptation that the Lotro folks have uh, have uh, done with um, with Angmar. So. Thanks, everybody. And I will see, so I'll see the uh, Twitter folks. I'll see you guys uh, next week. Same time. Bye. All right. Good evening, everyone. This Good. is Valori here. Yeah. Good evening. Okay. Um, all right. We are, we are ready to roll here. We're going <laughs> to. We're gonna head out. I think we're just gonna. I want to. I think we're just gonna do the same thing. Uh, this is, travel the same path we traveled last time. Um, 
that it just go up to Esteldine. Um rather than traveling straight to Algaier or something, I still we we kind of got distracted from our overland trip uh into mm-hmm. southern Angmar by uh exploring the Merivale cave, right? <laughs> it was pretty cool though. It is pretty cool and I and I don't apologize. I want to see the sites and I'm really interested in and I I want to I want to do think through some more sort of conclusions about the uh depiction of Angmar and how they've mm-hmm. represented it. Um because it's it's a fascinating element uh, of the game, and of course we should remind people, especially people who are sort of new to Lotra, like even newer than than I am, um, that um, uh, Angmar was the original, like the 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 original part of the game, like that you know when the game first came out, the primary foot with the Shadows of Angmar was the primary plot line. Um, uh-huh. So. When we're looking at the Angmar stuff, we're really looking at the uh, the 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 oldest central storyline. What can um, I do for you of the whole game? Um, which you know, oh, yeah, look at this. He's never even. We go to Esteldine or Algar. Let's go to Esteldine. Okay. And then we'll go cross country again from there. Um. Yeah. See, oh, Ambrosius are really honest. You missed the link. Okay, um, there's the registration link. Ambrosius are really honest. That's for the Thursday night meeting. Um, I'll put it in the Twitch chat too. Oh yes. Again, boom. Um, uh, exciting announcements and talking about developments and Signum stuff. Really <laughs> fun, cool stuff. I'm excited. Greetings. Lots of things have been happening lately. And I am even more sleep deprived than usual, but it's been Woo! really good. It's been really good. <laughs> Very exciting. Right. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So we're gathering in Esteldean. Yeah. So, Angmar. So, um, the choice just. You know, I was realizing that, you know, we were beginning to explore Angmar last time, but didn't really kind of talk about the big picture. And I'd like to talk a little more about the big picture. Um, Uh Angmar is a really interesting choice for like the initial villain, uh, you know, the initial uh, the initial enemy um, uh, in the the first installment of the game. And, Uh um, you know, I um, see, I think we're mostly here. We'll keep going. All right. All right. Um. So um. Lagging behind. We're just going. We're going east again. As last time. Yep. Yep. We're going east. So we'll cut through. Come out the other side of the pass, and then we're going to go through the main gate again with this big statues. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so Angmar. Now, the main thing, so it can't be denied that in this opening segment of the game, in the Shadows of Angmar part, 
they're taking sort of bigger liberties than they're taking, or at least a, a sort of a different, a whole different brand of liberties, you know, different species of liberties with the story uh, than uh-huh. they do in some other places, right? So, like, for instance, compare and contrast the Angmar storyline with, say, the uh, Moria storyline, right? Which was the... Yeah. Am I right in remembering that Moria was the next big expansion after the Shadows uh, of Angmar? Yes. Yeah, that's about when I joined in the game. And yeah, Moria was about the reclamation of Moria by the dwarves that came after the Fellowship had already sort of burned their way through it. Exactly. Exactly. So, in in other words, they weren't departing from the story. They were adding to it, right? Because, I mean, mm-hmm. you don't know what was happening in Moria after the Fellowship left, right? I mean, who's to say yeah. exactly we what was We got a very brief there? tour. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Um, and we do know that the dwarves were, you know, after the Council of Elrond, we know that the dwarves were sort of wondering, well, whatever happened to Balin and all those right, guys? Right, exactly. So that that there would be some of the dwarves of the Lonely Mountain who might have decided to engage in this kind of an expedition is perfectly well in keeping with what Glowin reports, as you say, at the Council of Elrond. Um, there's even, I love the line, the line I kept thinking of throughout uh you know, the time that I spent in that I have spent in Moria uh, in game is, you know, when Gandalf is reading the book of Mazarbal and says, you know, so ended the, uh, you know, the attempt to retake Moria. Um, it was valiant, but foolish. The time has not yet come. Uh, and you know, it was just kind of funny in the context of the game to be like, the time had not yet come. They were just like a, a year early, you know, like if they just <laughs> waited a hair longer, the time would have come. Um, or, you know, oh, to, they weren't wrong. It's not wrong in that respect. <laughs> exactly. It's not wrong. You it's know. just the time had not yet come quite, not quite come. Um, uh, but anyway, again, but, but again, the whole point is that you can see that the, you know, the whole concept of the, 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 the central plot line, um, of the Moria expansion, it doesn't deviate from this. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, there, there are only a few small ways, uh, in which it, uh, it actually contradicts what was said, uh, in the books. Um, mm-hmm. and of course the same thing with Rohan, right? Throughout the row. And that, cause that was the next big expansion, right? Or did Merkwood yeah, come then, after? Um, no, that was part of the, that was part wait, of the, the, the Moria, yeah, when the we Moria got the Dimmerald Dale thing, yeah, right, yeah, um, yeah. So, right, so the, with the the Rohan expansion, um, uh, well, and Mirkwood too, right? There, what we're mm-hmm. getting is, you know, we know some. We're told a few, you know, small things about stuff that happened uh, there in 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 Rohan, you know outside the very narrow path that the narrative follows. Um, and the story but, is, is kind of filling in. But we did in. get narrative. But we did exactly. get narrative there. Exactly. Like, we know that there are some people who support Wormtongue, and we know that he is trying to sort of, you know, put himself into power, and the things that are happening around in Rohan are kind of the things that we might imagine and all these other things. Um mm-hmm. In but so what I'm getting back around to here is that in the original Angmar story, they took a different kind of liberty with the story, right? Um, uh-huh. Angmar, there's never any indication that Angmar has risen again. There, they're just they're kind of doing something which is just flat. 
uh, contradictory to the book. Like Angmar has fallen and, uh, you know, uh, uh, unlike the South, Angmar will not rise again. Um, so it's, uh, so from its core concept, um, there, you know, this, this whole plot line asks us to sort of accept to take one sort of fairly big step, right? Okay. Uh, the step of saying, well, like, imagine Angmar kind of is rising again, right? You know, <laughs> the, it's not that the Witch King has come back because we know he's busy elsewhere. In fact, you know, right, you meet him in the quest line pretty early on in the epic quest line. Um, so, you know, we know what he's occupied with and he's not ruling up here, you know, with his iron crown and whatever. Um, but, you know, there's enough remnants of uh, old Angmar up here that they are, they're, they're, they're becoming a power again. Um, and that, again, it's just, that's not really, that, that didn't really happen in the book. But it's fine. You know, like, it's like, I, I've never found that a, 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 a step I'm unwilling to take. Um, yeah, and, and it would have been boring to go to Angmar and find no conflict at all. Right, exactly. And, and to me, the great value of it is exactly as uh, JJ was just suggesting in the, um, in the, uh, in, in, on discord here, Angmar is one of those places that I always wanted to hear more about. Yeah. Like the very name of Angmar was one that I always found, uh, tantalizing isn't quite the right word, but I was, I always, I found that name to have a kind of, yeah, intriguing, the sort of mythical significance, right? Like it's, um, that name just had this kind of resonance in part because like I knew that there were stories there that I just wasn't being told and didn't know about. Right. Um, sure. So that's why I think I'm so willing to take the step to be like, oh, yeah, OK, it's fine. Angmar's risen again. No, no problems. I'm with you. Right. And the primary <laughs> reason that I'm uh, uh, that I'm that I'm with them is that uh, uh, they um uh, uh, they they are like sort of enabling a fantasy, right? That is to 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 look at a story that is uh, uh, fascinating but untold, right? To explore a land whose very name has this uh, uh, this resonance within the story, um, and it's really fun to kind of visit here. Um, anyway, so for that reason, also though. The, the the very significance of the name um, and the sort of the role that it had or the role that it played in my imagination in the story kind of set the bar pretty high for me. I was really uh-huh. interested to come to Angmar. Um, one of the things that I liked about it from the very beginning, um, that is about the storyline, long before I got to Angmar, from way back in from way back in book one of the epic quest line in 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 Bree, which is where I first started playing. Um, yeah, you know, with the Strider's thing with uh, yeah um, the Amdir plot and the and the 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 Angmarim influencing the Black Wold ruffians and stuff, um, as we were just looking at in Breland, um, that's to me that's really interesting, right? What I really liked about the 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 sort of direction that they took that from an adaptation standpoint is not to not to just sort of expand on something that Tolkien says or to fill in a story around the edge. Um, but rather to kind of, I don't know, make history come alive, right? Um, yeah. The way that they parallel 
what happens in Angmar here with the things that we're told about what did happen in Angmar before. Um, <laughs> even to the the way in which the kingdom of Rudaur is kind of seduced away from its, you know, Dunedain roots and, uh, and comes to serve the iron crown. Um, that's, you know, the, the, the way that we're seeing them infiltrate among the black wold ruffians and, you know, we're, 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 we're seeing sort of echoes of that. Right. Um, yeah. uh, in, in a later age, it's not the same thing, but, but seeing echoes of that in a later age, I think that's really interestingly done. Um, so, Which is similar how, to how history really works, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Well, and especially in Tolkien, we get that all the well, we get that all the time. Oh yes. So yeah. it's it's not a stretch, and I do like the fact that we're encountering Angmar, and it's it's you know it, it talks about Angmar rising to power, but we're looking around and going, oh, not yet, they're not. Right. <laughs> Everything's right. still kind of disorganized, and nobody really, you know, everyone's sort of following their own thing and having tantrums. These, you know, everything's on the loose, everything's untethered, everything's crumbling apart and decaying. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really, it's really interesting to see. So thinking, at, you know, in terms of that, in terms of these, you know, of the these uh, these sort of the legends and histories, right? Look at these first two elements of Angmar. That we've seen. First, we've got the the valley that we just came through, right? This mm-hmm. path that we just came through, which is still a path, and we and though we've got this sort of blasted, cracked ground, right, that we've been following. So we've got like this well, path of evil through this otherwise <laughs> relatively fertile valley here. Um, but we also had those like ginormous spiders that we were, you know, galloping through and everything. So the blight scarred um, path. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we so we have this sort of corrupted fauna, right? Those diggers up there don't look healthy, and uh, and the spiders certainly don't look healthy. Then we come to here. We've got these orcs, right? This little orc camp uh, with this these big siege this siege equipment that they're building, right? So they're building the siege equipment in order to bring it down into the North Downs. Um, yep. to attack from the north. So we get this idea of an orc army that's building, that's coming, preparing for an assault mm-hmm. uh, down from the north, again, just like the bad old days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then... But I'll, I'll, yeah, go ahead. But already we're already seeing that things are not going well. What we have are these blogmole orbs just complaining and whining, and nobody knows what they're supposed to do or why they're doing it. Like one of the um, was uh, on my feed, they were talking about how, yeah, it's all well and good to say the trolls are going to push it, but what are we going to do in the daytime? Right. We have to push it. Right. We can already see that things are not going smoothly. Yes. Yes, exactly. The, 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 um, I do like the fact that the, the orcs up here are kind of incompetent, right? And uh, this is not exa- it's not exactly a well-oiled war machine that we're seeing up here uh, when we do get up here to Angmar. Um, and uh, yeah, JJ, I agree. It's, it is kind of comical to me. The whole siege weaponry thing, it seems to me a bit of a joke anyway. Right? I mean, apart from the fact that it's not being done very well. Yeah, it's a little odd. Why do it at all? Right? What, seriously? Like this siege tower right here. On those yeah, wheels, it's going to go up that steep hill that we just right exactly. <laughs> How are you going to push that guy with trolls? Okay, you could push that with trolls, but seriously, you're gonna you're gonna shove this little buggy all the way across the North Downs, right? And what yeah. over the mountains or or, uh, or the switchback path over to Esteldon? Exactly. Is that like what are you planning to do with this? It's not even like a city right over the pass that you're gonna 
go to there's you know so yeah it's the whole thing is kind of um uh puzzling um but again that that in itself is kind of charming right there's this 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 sort of charming uh um cluelessness about the orc initiative up here um yeah it's like king arthur's knights nonsense here yeah yeah uh, and then there's the Merivale, which we met before, too. And thinking of there, you know, we were talking about the, the sort of the connection to Thurin Gwethil, right? Uh, and the vampires. Um, so, again, that's, that seems to me a very characteristic sort of Angmar um, touch. Uh, you know, Lotro Angmar touch, this uh, ancient stories come alive kind of angle, you know, that we get a lot in the Angmars. It's really kind of the the whole nature of the Angmar story that, you know, once more the kingdom of Angmar, the evil kingdom of Angmar is emerging. Um, there are distant legends that are still told of it and its name is a name of dread, but, uh, uh, but now it is, uh, now it is rising again. Um, yeah, it, it, several hints of the fact that, you know, Angmar was just sort of sleeping, waiting for its second coming. Like, like all the, the really evil, nasty stuff down there hadn't actually been killed, but we're just sort of sitting around waiting yes. for to, to wake up again. So yes. I, I like that aspect of it. Yeah, me too. Um, let's see. Hang on at this crossroads. I'm now debating. Which way should we go, do you think? Should we go north and come out through the orc camp up there, or should we turn to the west and it's, come it's, out we have, If we go up north, we have a choice of going through an orc camp or an Angmarm camp. Right. Either of which yeah. are fun. But... For high levels. Right. Gothic, your, your spear with heads on it and the flies buzzing around, that's just really creepy. Well done. <laughs> you live up to your name. <laughs> uh, oh, wow, yeah. That's hardcore right there. Wow. Yeah, that's totally hardcore. Whoa, yeah. Good thing, good thing the smell's going behind you when you're riding, you know? Yeah, that would absolutely. be the advantage of riding really fast. Yeah, you might want to keep it at a canter. Uh, other people are showing off theirs. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I don't have one. It's tasteless. You don't have cosmetic skulls mounted behind you on no. your horse? Okay. No. Yeah. yeah. Cool. It wouldn't go with my outfit. All right. Let's go towards Algaier. I've decided. Let's go towards okay. uh, towards Algaier and uh, probably better will... for the lower levels. <laughs> well, and then that way we can start there next time. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I just did that one on uh, Gladden with Jonathan uh, riding through the two camps to finish the the Watcher quest, and uh, uh, oh boy, did I have a kite about a mile long following. <laughs> yes. Very very Benny Hill moment. <laughs> Now, I think we can ride this... Oh, never mind, I can see the camp. I, I made the mistake of riding up the cliff. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, it did get me to the camp. I just got a lot of broken things on the way. Right. You know, I've always been surprised in this area how green it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. all the trees and stuff. I, I was surprised by that. I was... Um, when, when I first came through here... Or rather, when I first came to Angmar, I didn't come by this pass. I came by the other pass, the the Worm and Drake Pass. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, felt satisfyingly, um, you know, dark, dark, <laughs> and and in sinister, right? Um, 
which of course this is uh, looking at the map. It's down the roads south that were that were we've just intersected here. Um, mm-hmm. That's the one that comes out there through the other pass. Uh, yeah, and it's covered in dragons essentially. Um, the idea that the boundary is guarded by uh, you know by worms guarded by dragons is interesting, right? Um, reminds me of the, and that rare elite one, of course. Right? Yeah, exactly. That one took me by surprise. <laughs> took me by surprise too. I think three times. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. anyway, um, you know, I think that the um, you know JJ is asking could the Earth can be stone giants of a sort. I think that's the only kind of justification for them. Uh, my suspicion is that that's kind of the idea, given that there are giants in Middle-earth, sort of, briefly, in The Hobbit, that yeah. were trying to do giantish kinds of things. They've got elfish ears. We've looked at them before, down, you know, in the other valley. Yeah, um, in down, Yeah, down by Estildean. Um I'm still not a fan of the Earthkin. Um, I'm not outraged by the Earthkin, but I'm not really a fan. Um, yeah. <laughs> it strikes me as a kind of... Like, the the giants that you meet in the Misty Mountains are much more of a, an attempt to just simply imagine the stone giants something like as the stone giants were depicted, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But... Yeah. No, see, Tillian, it's the idea is not necessarily that you, you know, need necessarily limit the strange creatures based on documentation, that you can't introduce anything that wasn't explicitly uh, introduced by Tolkien. Um, though they do try, in general, to be careful about that in Lotro. I, I agree with you, or with what you're implying, I think, that that isn't necessarily, you know, mandatory. Um, I just I don't find the Earth can work very well. They don't. I don't know how to fit them. I don't know what to do. Well, with they them. don't seem to be. They don't seem to be borrowed from any of the mythologies that Tolkien was a fan of. I mean, that would be right. a different matter if they had like introduced a Svartelf or something like that from mm-hmm. Norse mythology or right. something from Beowulf or something. It'd be a different matter because those were sources that he held close to his heart and drew a lot from. Yeah, so it's it's just it's they they are harder harder to understand, um, harder to fit in, harder to see how they're meant to work and what they're sort of meant to do. Their, their mechanism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're a little awkward. But anyway, let's carry on. So, so here we are in the. Yeah, unexpectedly fertile. Do you think we're meant to understand that they, by their presence here, are helping to keep this bit of Angmar green well, and that growing? Is, that would make some sort of sense. But I think also what what we're looking at the ki- the type of green that we're seeing is is green that is the kind of green that survives in really harsh climates. Right, um, like, like the, the, the scrubby grass yeah. here looks like the you know the kind of weeds that you find you know growing in pavements as if it was luxury dirt right right despite the fact all of your freesia have died right and um the the 
the the type of cedary pine trees and they, they look a little you know rusty and sparse those are the kinds of trees that you see like uh, next to oceans and salt marshes things where a lot of things can't grow right but now look down here we got the dead trees down here yes there's only little patches of scrubby grass all over the place this place has been just desolated by whatever blight is taking over Angmar Yes, and you could mistake it at first for just rocky, right? But the dead trees are, are kind of a giveaway. This used to yeah. be a, a greener valley. Is this, yeah, and this isn't winter. These are blighted trees. These are bone-white blighted trees. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to look at our banners here first. Do Similar have, to the ones that we... Oh, that's the, that's the instance camp over here, so... This is a... Dragon. Where? Up here next to the. Where are you now? I'm not sure. Oh yes, yes, yes. I see it now. I'm here sorry that you're looking at the ones at the bottom of the hill. No, no. I'm uh, Was there anything? Well, no. Those are just colors. Yeah. And I think the tattered look. ones are like the banners of their defeated enemies, aren't they? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. The Trevkalorg. That's right. Have we found the, the root language that they're using for the Ogre? Do we know what that was? Or? Um, I don't think... Do they have these Hillmen as... They connect them ultimately through the Breland and down... Yeah, it's a... It's a it's a it's a it's it's a generally Celtic thing, right? Yeah, it sounds very uh, Scottish Gaelic to me. Yeah, wanted a second opinion though, <laughs> which would make sense. So these are the hardy, tough people up north. Yeah. See, furthering my theory that Bremen are Yorkshiremen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. When I came here with Griffith, it was the first time I noticed this. What do you think this is? The wall. Oh, the wall? Oh, dang, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I didn't notice that either. I like I came up here, like Wigand had completely finished the epic line up in Angmar, and I'd never noticed it. And then I came here with Griffith, and I was looking around like Griffith does, and I was like, oh. holy cow, there's a big castle on the hill. Jeez, once again proving I can be in this game for so many years and still get surprised. Is that it's not Rudauren. And no, it doesn't. It does not look like this, certainly not like the standard Numenorean ruins that we've seen. Um, I don't I don't think we can get up among these ruins. I've tried and failed. <laughs> I um, believe it. <laughs> I, guess I, I can't get closer. Um it's kind of Karn Doom looking. Yeah, I, I, Mungli, I, I, I suspect it may be an old border wall uh, for Angmar. That makes some sense to me. Um, uh, it looks more like a boundary to keep people out than it looks like something encircling this valley. Um, this. This valley is almost this castle's this castle's defense if it is a castle. Well, right, like well, this pass, right? Because presumably, yeah. I mean, this village 
hardly looks ancient. Um, no. So, although hard to tell with you know the the rate things would be rotting, it'd have to replace it pretty regularly. Right. Exactly. I mean, these people could have been settled here for a thousand years, for all we know. Um, but there's no clear sign. I mean, there's no stonework or anything that suggests no permanent residence. Anything. Here. Yeah. So I would think that this would be the border of Angmar and um, that this wall was designed to guard against the pass here. Yes. That Um, makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, what's on the other side of this wall? Is there any way to see what's on there? Do we have to go up the hill? I think just to the left of the other side is where is the pass that goes down into the plain mm-hmm. from Algeir. So yeah, either that really should have been walled also, or it used to be walled and the wall is just removed. Um, I recall there's a lot of runes out there. So Yeah. Well, we'll take a look. Um, however, it's... Uh, yeah, JJ, I agree. It does really look like a Great Wall of China kind of boundary there. Uh, notice how it joins against the hill up here on the, uh, mm-hmm. what is it, sort of well, that's eastern smart. side. Don't work. Yeah. Yeah, so no, I think it's just designed to uh, protect Angmar from this approach from the south. Um, and keep out the riffraff. Yeah, exactly. Well... We will begin next time in Algaier, and we'll 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 explore here more thoroughly next time. Um, I should let everybody go. It's uh, almost the stroke of midnight here on the East Coast, so mm-hmm. we should let people go. Um, but uh, thanks everybody for joining us, and I look forward to seeing you guys again soon. I am going to have class tomorrow night. Um, uh, that is, we're going to have the, the Mythgard Academy class, the War of the Ring class uh, tomorrow night. We're going to get to meet Faramir for the first time. Uh, so that'll be fun. Uh, and then, of course, there, there are the special Thursday night sessions, special new announcements about Signum University. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and then moving on. So thanks, everybody. And I will see you guys soon. Bye now. Bye. Good night. Good night. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.